The views and opinions of the Edge podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government. Welcome to the Edge, the Education USA Global Exchange podcast, broadcasting from the central nervous system of our global network, Washington, D.C. Everyone, welcome to the next episode of The Edge. We have a big annual event coming up in August, August 2nd to the 4th, to be specific. It's our annual Education USA flagship conference in Washington, D.C. With me today is Adina Archer, and we'll be chatting a bit about what is this forum and what value does it have to anyone who's thinking about attending. Adina, welcome. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you so much, Noel. I'm excited to be here and talk about the forum with you. Great. Adina, you have a rather unique perspective. You were a former HEI, as we like to call them, or a higher education institution representative. And while you were an HEI, I know that you attended both our domestic and our regional forums and a lot of Education USA fairs, but that's for a later podcast episode. But now you're part of the IIEDC Global Education USA Services team. So you've kind of seen both sides of the fence. I'm interested to hear your perspective. Yeah, so I attended the very first forum back in 2010, I believe, and I think I've attended every DC forum since. So I'm excited to be on the other side of this and, you know, just see how everything works from this side. Terrific. Why don't we begin with your thoughts on what is the annual Education USA Forum? The annual Education USA Forum is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to bring together, of course, all of our friends and colleagues from US higher education whether colleagues from the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs over at the State Department, our REACTS, and then we bring in about 50 advisors from around the world. So it's an opportunity to get updates on what's happening around the world at the Bureau. It's an opportunity to network and it's an opportunity to build community. That's a lot of people all coming together in Washington, D.C. And uh, that's not even including all of the higher ed representatives and people from the field who also registered to attend. That number, what is that number? Like another six, seven hundred. So it's quite the networking event then. Yeah. So you should come with (laughs) caffeine and a notebook and some business cards And, you know, frankly, I think from the higher ed perspective, you should definitely be coming with an agenda. What is it that you're most interested in in learning about? Are there particular regions of the world that you're interested in? Are you interested in best practices around recruitment and retention? Do you want to hear briefings from the State Department on various issues and policies? So know what you want to do as you come in and as you're picking your sessions and think about who you want to meet with. I know our REACTS and our advisors often have one-on-one time, so you can schedule that with them. And of course, our program officers from the State Department are at the event as well. It's an opportunity to meet with them and gain some insight from their expertise. So Noelle, I know as the events manager, you're working on building out the forum for the summer, and there are some exciting changes coming up. What do we have in store for us? 
absolutely, I'm more than happy to talk about the structure of the forum this year. For our listeners who may have attended our prior DC forum, some major changes on the horizon for the summer that we're playing around with is uh, we're actually pivoting from a two and a half day format. Usually, you know, it's a, the first two days or full days and we do a half day on the third day. But this year, we're running a free full day conference, August 2nd to the 4th at the JW Marriott in Washington, DC. So that's probably the first major change to note. And part of the reason why we're doing that is based upon audience feedback. So this long survey that uh, we send to our attendees every year, we do read what you say to us. And there were some comments in there for the last couple of years saying, hey, would you consider extending this to three full days? We want more time to network, maybe spread the sessions out a little bit more. So this is the year. We're going to try it. We're going to see how it goes. Hopefully people like it. And I would say another major development is obviously we haven't been able to do our annual DC forum in person due to the pandemic for the last two years. We actually held it virtually both in 2020 and in 2021. And I think the biggest lesson learned there was just the expansion of our registration footprint because it was being offered virtually. Typically at a forum, we have about maybe about 700 participants, but both in 2020 and in 2021, when we did this virtually, we had well over 2,100 registrants for each of those events. And combing through the feedback, some of the things that we were hearing were various office directors saying, thank you so much for continuing to hold this valuable event, even though we can't meet in person, which we miss doing, and we can't wait to get back together for in-person networking, of course. Uh, we really appreciate this virtual opportunity because some offices have limited resources, be they financial or just personnel-wise, and they said that, you know, we, we've we always wanted to send more of our team members to Washington, D.C. to attend the Education USA Forum, but we just couldn't. Or um, we had new team members. They were new hires and we want it to, as part of their training, get them involved early on with the Education USA Network so they can learn about the resources that we offer. And as I said, for various limited resource reasons, they weren't necessarily able to send them to the in-person event in Washington, D.C. And so they were saying, thank you so much. We want to be back in person, but if there's any way not to completely lose this virtual component, um, that would be great if we could somehow find a way to keep it. It's just been so helpful. And so we do, as I said, we, we read feedback, we listen to it, we try to implement it where we can. And so uh, long story short, this forum this summer we're looking at as doing a hybrid event for the first time ever. That's really great, Noelle. As much as I want to see everyone in person, I know we want to continue engaging those who just can't make it to DC this year. How will this hybrid forum be structured? It will primarily be in-person, structured very similar to the way that we did it pre-pandemic, last one being in 2019, for those familiar with that. But in addition to that, we're looking at live streaming some of our most popular sessions to a virtual-only audience as well. So for those who perhaps won't be able to make it to Washington, D.C. this summer, we will be offering a limited track of live stream sessions that they can still access our critical content because we do know 
know, again, from the feedback that we get, that many of the attendees, aside from the networking component, they use our regional overviews, our regional updates to inform their strategic plan for the year for their international student recruitment and retention. Again, we want to remain the most accurate, timely, and comprehensive resource that we can for this higher ed community. And so we are dallying in hybrid this summer. That's right, Noel. We have a mandate, in fact, to work with all 4,000 plus accredited higher education institutions in the United States. And this hybrid approach allows us to continue to do so. What we saw in the virtual space were lots and lots of folks who had really never engaged with us. And we want to make sure we keep that momentum going. Yes, absolutely. As you said, over 4,000 accredited USHEIs. And believe it or not, we always look for new ways to expand the footprint. I still think that maybe 50% are not tapping into some of the resources that we offer. So yes, anything we can do to get the word out to be that resource for the higher ed community to offer a virtual offering, if that's what it takes, we're interested in trying it out. So as we move from the two and a half day programming to the three day programming, what is it that we're adding to the event? What we're adding is the space for the number one piece of feedback that we get for why HEIs attend the forum, and that is networking. So we're not necessarily expanding it to three days and then adding even more sessions in. We already have 60-some, 70-some concurrent sessions that we do in the space of a a two-and-a-half-day event. What we're doing is instead of having the sessions six at a time during a particular time block, we may have it three, four, five at a time, just to give people more space, not to miss sessions that they want to see that are being offered live and in person and are happening concurrently, but also to provide more space for people who perhaps want to do more of the office hours or they want a little more downtime to be doing the critical in-person networking that we hear so much about in the feedback surveys. We're not offering less. We're just reimagining the way in which it plays out across three days. Let's pause there and we'll take a deeper dive into the forum after this quick break. Tired of walking through the same rooms of your house? Can't wait to get back out on the road? We got your back. We have not one, not two, but three. Yes, that's right, listeners. Three Education USA forums coming up. Get those suitcases ready and don't miss our annual Education USA forum, August 2nd to the 4th in Washington, D.C. Perfect for solidifying your annual strategic plan before you hit the recruitment trail this fall. The EUR Regional Forum, September 19th to the 21st in Belgrade, Serbia. And the WHA Regional Forum, November 9th to the 11th in San Jose, Costa Rica. So don't miss out. Register today by visiting these events on educationusa.state.gov. Welcome back to our conversation about the forum where we left off. So, Adina, when you were an HEI, if you had to state the biggest takeaways from the DC forum, where is the value? Yeah, no, well, I think the biggest uh, value is in the networking opportunities. You know, the conference is large enough, so there's plenty of people to meet, but it's also small enough that it's very comfortable 
to get to know people, which is which is really, really nice. Um, of course, we have our regional updates. Those are super valuable. We have Reacts and advisors coming in from all around the world, and they can give us sort of real-time updates and perspectives about what's going on on the ground. Um, I think those will be particularly useful this year as people are trying to navigate which parts of the world are reopening and, you know, what are the new opportunities, whether it's scholarship opportunities or just sort of pipeline opportunities and partnership opportunities. We have a wealth of information coming out of our colleagues at the State Department on some new initiatives, policies. Of course, we have the joint statement with DOS, Department of State and DOE, Department of Ed. And we have lots of new outreach events for our um, domestic higher ed audience. We have a team over at the State Department that's solely focused on um, outreach, getting more of those universities involved in the work that we're doing. You know, so as this as this audience is coming in for the DC Forum, there's lots of other opportunities to engage peer to peer. You can sort of think of this peer-to-peer engagement as a kind of, uh, you know, professional development opportunity, whether you're discussing, you know, having conversations around recruitment, retention, DEI issues, those sorts of things. So it can be a little beefier in that sense. You know, I used to go to forums because I needed to know where I needed to be in the world and where the opportunities were, but that has sort of expanded out and really, you know, over the years gave me some great professional development opportunities. Finally, I'll say that, you know, there will be opportunities for you to meet advisors from countries where you're you're just not going to be able to recruit in. Maybe it's the numbers aren't there. Maybe you don't have, um, you know, the funds, funds to be able to go there, but you know that you can get students from that particular place. This is a really good way to engage face to face um, with the advisors. And we know, you know, we all work in international ed. We all know the value of that face to face, those one on one relationships. Um, and so if there are countries that you're thinking, man, I, you know, I, that's got to, you know, this is a good market for this, but I can't get there, you know, look to see if those advisors are coming um, or if the advisors aren't there, make sure that you're talking with the REAC who covers that particular country so that you can get more information there. We bring the world to you. That's a great point. This is one of our largest events where we have, as you said, 50 of our approximately 550 advisors from about 170 countries and territories uh, that we bring to one place. And that's rare. We'd like to bring all 550. Unfortunately, we logistically can't do that. But this is probably the largest representation of that advising core that we have in one place in the United States states at one time annually. And then, of course, on top of that, the added value with the attendance of all 15 of our regional educational advising coordinators or REACs. So these individuals that have the country portfolios of 170 plus places will also be in attendance. It really is the world or sampling of the world. Uh, coming to Washington, D.C. So as you said, if, if you're not able to get to all these places, I mean, we're only we're only individuals, right? Part of teams, but individuals trying to uh, do our jobs every day. You can't be everywhere all the time, every single year. This is a not to miss event to make those connections. Indeed, Noelle. And just as we're bringing the world to you, I want to go back and add one more thought about this networking and the peer-to-peer piece. Um, particularly if you're new to this field or you have some new mandate to bring in international students, this is an opportunity to really meet other people who are doing amazing work in the field. You can learn best practices. There are sessions on strategy, even just listening to the questions they ask at some of the presentations. Listen to the questions. This is going to give you 
um, sort of a clue to the questions that you should be asking in your own institution. So don't just focus on our network, right? But also focus on each other. What can you glean from each other? How can you partner up? One thing that can be tricky, Adina, is sometimes our listeners are very much on board with participating in one of our activities, such as the Education USA Forum. But of course, we're all operating with limited resources. And so you often have to make the case as to why one activity should be participated in over another. For our our listeners, do you have any helpful guidance? on how to articulate the value to leadership at your institution as to why the institution should be sending representatives to our annual Education USA Forum this year? Sure. Uh, two words. <laughs> um, relationship management. So if you're a recruiter and you're going in country and you're meeting individual students, those are great conversations, right? And it's really, really helpful for next year or maybe the year after, depending on you know where the student is in their studies. That's going to be very different than building a relationship, let's say, with a REAC or an advisor, or maybe the advisor refers you out to a college counselor at a local high school or a program coordinator at a local university. Building those relationships, that's not a one or two year endeavor, right? Those relationships, as you build and maintain them, they'll continue to be a forceful pipeline for you in the years to come. And I really do think that's the value. It's much more strategic than doing a fair, meeting individually with a student, recruiting that student, bringing them in. Now, what do you have to do? You have to go back around and do it all over again, right? And don't get me wrong, like both of these uh, approaches are important for recruiting. You have to do both, right? I'm not downplaying the recruitment of individual students, but building and maintaining relationships with these players in the field, that's going to be much more strategic long-term, right? So for example, it's nice to have a colleague in an advising center in a particular country that you can call on to help. These people are meant to represent U.S. higher education abroad, and that's what they're doing. So having those relationships, there's really nothing more powerful. So one of the things that you flagged are the regional overviews and the importance of getting those annual updates, especially now, and to have it before you go into fall of 2022 and everything that happens in the course of a year in an admissions office. Why is it so important? Why? What's so special about these regional overviews that you can't maybe Google or get from the Education USA website? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest value there is the real-time information about what's going on on the ground. Even if there's not an advisor from a particular country, you know, we have REACs who um, who can help guide you there. Um, you know, maybe it's about, you know, the pandemic and what's opening, what's not opening. Maybe it's a new scholarship um, opportunity and you're reading on the website and maybe it's in a different language or maybe it's not, but maybe it's not clear to, to you. You know, you, you know, they're looking for students that study X, Y, Z, but you have this program that sort of you think would be a good fit. You know, what kind of deeper conversation could you have with a React, with an advisor? Who can they refer you out to, right? This is the kind of stuff um, that's going to be really helpful that you're really not going to get anywhere else in these sessions. And Adina, put your HEI cap on for a second. Back when you had an office with staff, did you send them to the Education USA Forum? I did. I did. What made you make that choice? For newer staff, I wanted to send them so that they could start to get a global picture and they could start to understand how this field works. For my more senior staff, you know, we typically, just to manage the world, would divide 
people up and they would kind of be responsible for regions, right? I mean, there was some fluidity there, but we had someone focused on South Asia, someone focused on South America, someone focused on East Asia. And those folks were responsible for maintaining those relationships and sort of keeping abreast of everything that's going on um, in those regions. So it had value both for new or more junior folks, but obviously for senior folks as well. Um, as our junior folks were sort of walking around, you know, in awe, just sort of taking it all in and figuring out which way is up and which way is down. Our more senior folks could really go in and do the networking and the relationship management that needed to be done. And then would you send your more junior staff the next year? How did they develop after that initial sort of like shock and awe attending the forum for the first time between the first year and the second year that they went? Yeah, so I sent them every year if I could. The advantage that I had, of course, um, is that, uh, you know, my institution was in Washington, D.C., so I wasn't paying travel costs for everyone, just the cost of attendance. Um, but the other sort of next level development um, for them would be to go to regional forums. And I know that we're going to talk about regional forums in separate episodes, but the value is just that deeper networking, the idea of bringing advisors, all the advisors from a particular region to a particular place and having the opportunity to learn about the countries in that particular region. So if you think of it sort of like a funnel, the big event, right, the flagship event, that's the DC forum um, is, you know, throwing that net wide and then sort of narrowing it down to different regions of the world so that people can, you know, begin to become experts in those regions. That's a very interesting strategy. Speaking of strategy, did you strategize with your team when you knew that you were going to send them to our DC forum? Absolutely. So, you know, for the more junior folks, I would sit together with them and we'd look at the sessions and talk about where they wanted to go, where I thought they should go. You know, our more, <laughs> our more senior folks, they would just come to me and tell me what they wanted to do. You know, plus, you know, we kind of strategized because they already had had that in their back pocket. But for folks who are just learning how to do this, yeah, sitting with them, thinking about their own goals for their own professional development, what they want to learn, you know, are they more policy people? Or are they more regional people? They can get all that information there. It's just sort of helping them break it, break it down. Yeah, talk me through the process. Was there like a before, during, and after sort of strategy that you had for them or any kind of roadmap that you made of things that they should prepare, things they should make sure not to miss, and then how they follow up and unpack the experience? Because obviously, you know, two and a half days, three days, that's a lot. Right. You're kind of burnt out from just all the networking, you know, being there together in person. And then you have to, you know, all these great notes you took, you have to make them actionable then, right? Yeah. So for the pre-conference, again, it was just sort of sitting and going over sessions, maybe talking a little bit about networking or how we're, in, uh, how we're representing our institution, how we talk about our institution, just go, going over talking points once again. Um, during the event, there was not a lot of time to meet, obviously, although we would, you know, often do dinners just to spend more time, um, you know, with key stakeholders doing some more networking. I think it's the after part that so many of us miss. Um, this is lar in large part because of timing. You know, everyone's just running, you know, rushing off to start orientation or get back on the road, depending on the role at their institution. Um, but yeah, we were very mindful about debriefing afterwards. You know, what are our takeaways? What are we integrating um, into our strategy, both, you know, this year, but long term as well? Um, and that's a, a great point that people need to spend time, whether it's debriefing with folks from their own institution or if they're solo going home and spending a few hours thinking about the information they've gleaned. 
Um, this is also <laughs> should or should be, um, you know, part of your selling point for next year when you're going to your leadership and saying, hey, I, I want to go back to this event. Um, it was really valuable because of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're laying the building blocks for ongoing activity and engagement with Education USA, which is a resource to help you do your job day to day. Yeah. Thank you very much for walking us through that strategy. It's also good whether there's new information in there or just a refresher, because I feel after about two years of doing solid virtual here, we're all in a way going to be learning how to re-engage with people in person and how to do networking again in this bold new world that we're in. So we also have this thing called the Global Showcase, which usually happens from about 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. on the second day of our DC forum. And that's basically a tabletop exhibit where we have country territory assigned to each table. So all of our 50 advisors and reacts that we bring to the forum, they each have their own space. Again, this concept of kind of making the world accessible to all of the attendees. But in addition to that, we also invite representatives from foreign missions here in Washington, D.C., who are either joining a table with one of our advisors that already exists, or they have their own country or territory tables somewhere in the room. Reflecting back on that experience, Adina, when you were in HEI and you were attending, what is the value in being able to engage that way and especially to have representatives from the foreign missions there? Yeah. So for me, it was an opportunity to learn about, you know, different countries that I wasn't, you know, wasn't particularly, you know, well-read in or um, to learn about just kind of new opportunities, things that maybe weren't on my radar. Um, as far as the missions go, you know, that can be super, super valuable. Um, you do want to try to get a sense of why they're there, what's their agenda. You know, some of them have sponsored student opportunities, right? They're sponsoring students to come here to do bachelor's, to do master's, maybe even to do PhD programs. We see some countries, you know, sponsoring PhD students um, who will then go back home and teach in, you know, their universities. And that sort of raises the raises the the level of their education there, the quality of the education in their home countries. Um, we have some that are, you know, solely focused on workforce development for one field or another, right? So get a sense of what they're doing, grab business cards, shake hands. Um, and then, you know, I would follow up and have meetings at the embassies, you know, bring the right people. If someone's interested in a particular field, maybe bring a professor or researcher, from, you know, from that particular field, whatever it is, um, in to have these conversations. Um, you, there are, are faculty exchange opportunities, there's research opportunities. Um, so there's a lot outside of the domain of recruiting students um, that will help with campus internationalization. What do you think either the HEIs who know us or the ones who don't know us yet should know about the forum that would make a little light bulb go on and go, oh, I have to go? I I think it's the experience. I think it's the opportunity to meet face-to-face with everyone. And it's a a rush of energy. If you're like me and you're more of an introvert, you know, and you get your energy from being alone, you want to make sure that you give yourself some downtime because it's a long, busy day, you know, a few long, busy days. Um, The great thing, you know, about this is that it's in D.C., um, but it's in August. The weather's not great. You know, it's not cherry blossom season. Um, But this year, it's right near the White House, right near the mall. So it's an opportunity to see D.C. while you're here and taking advantage of that as well. Um, Of course, we talked about 
all the foreign missions. So if you're, you're sort of ready for that, you know, you can fill in your time, um, and meet with missions while you're here. Probably not great for, you know, folks attending the first time, but, you know, for folks who've been around, um, that's a really good opportunity as well. Excellent. Yeah, Washington, D.C. is a very special location. Uh, We often get asked why we don't move the form around the United States, aside from kind of being the center of our Education USA network here in Washington, D.C. It's just an ideal location for meeting with so many government and nonprofit associations and organizations or foreign missions. So do take advantage of that while you're here in Washington. One last question, Adina. So I'm going to ask you, what's in your suitcase as you're packing to come to a Washington, D.C. forum? Uh, You don't have to tell me about the six pairs of uh, tennis shoes that you have in all different colors. But in terms of packing and preparing for this three-day networking experience, uh, what should you be bringing with you? Think about what you can offer the people you're meeting with. Uh, Yeah, so in addition to the notebook and the business cards and the sneakers, because you're going to be doing a lot of walking, um, you do want to bring, you know, materials about your own institution. Um, I made an effort to do in language materials whenever possible. So I might do a special flyer that talks about my institution, one side English, the other side in a particular language. Um, and then I used those at the global showcase. So the global showcase was not only an opportunity for me, um, to learn about other countries, um, but it's also an opportunity for me to talk about my own institution. You don't have to do in language material. Everyone speaks English, but it's really nice, right? It's really nice to have. Um, also, you know, when you're talking to the foreign missions, it's nice to have a packet. I would t- bring packets, not a lot of them, just a few, um, so that I could, I could give those out to folks as well. Do you want to bring a lot of printed materials or do you also want to think about things like QR codes or uh, be ready with some websites that or maybe a template email that you could send out to contacts? Yeah, the, the follow-up portion is really important. Um, one of the things that I do, and I'm, I'm very disciplined uh, when I travel or when I come to, to this event, is I go home at the end of the night, I have a templated email that I sent out, you know, hey, it was great to meet you, you know, um, and then I try to find the person on LinkedIn, connect with them there as well. Excellent. Well, Adina, thank you for your perspective on our Education USA forum in Washington, D.C. It's been fun talking with you, and I'm sure our audience appreciated all of the tips and insights that you offered from your former HEI days. And Noel, thank you for working so hard. I see you're running around all day to make this event what it is. Um, This is critical. It is our flagship forum, and it is wonderful, and you've done a wonderful job. Um, making it happen every year. My pleasure. I'm looking to old home week and seeing uh, familiar and new faces again this summer. The views and opinions of the Edge podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government.